We are going to continue our series, Wind and Fire, today. Everybody say, Wind and Fire. But I just want to emphasize a couple practical things before we go there. First and foremost, Joy Ministry is sponsoring a food drive this month. And so we're encouraging you. It's one of the ways we're giving back this Christmas season. I mean, it's not quite Christmas yet, but you go in the stores. Christmas is up everywhere. We want to give back. So bring a non-perishable food item some point this month. We've got a drop-off point out in the lobby. Secondly, speaking of Joy Ministry, just want to mention they do have their lunch after service. And they do a a bi-monthly lunch. And so you're welcome to attend, and a special guest today, one of our church members, Aquia Carmichael, is going to be sharing on estate planning as well, so some practical input. So even if you weren't aware of it, you're welcome to just go back and get some food and get some, get some information and some knowledge. So it'll be great for that. Um, how many of you guys have heard of The Chosen? How many people have heard of The Chosen? If you have not heard of The Chosen, I want to encourage you to make yourself aware of The Chosen. The Chosen is actually, I think it's the uh, set of Guinness Book World Records for the largest crowd-funded film project in history. And it was this, actually, it's interesting, it started out of a church. And a church just got this idea, kind of saying, what if we just kind of showed Jesus' disciples and kind of did, and, and create this little film? Well, it spawned to them saying, you know, what if we did a whole series with a bunch of episodes? Because usually you have a movie about Jesus, but literally of episodes. And they said, and what if we just offered it for free to people uh, through an app so they could watch it and try and get this around the world? Well, millions and millions and millions of views later, it is everywhere. I mean, a half a billion, we're saying, of, of views. It's incredible. And you can just download it on an app and watch it, you know, cast it to your TV. I love watching it. Like, we watch as a family. My kids love it. It is really, really powerful. So, A, I just want to pop The Chosen. If you weren't aware of it, get the app. Check out. It's really good. But season three is starting this coming week. And what they did, because they've gotten so much traction, is the first two episodes they're actually doing in movie theaters. So that's a cool opportunity as well. The Chosen will in movie theaters, and we are doing a social, so we've got a group from our church that's organized social, so next Sunday, to go and watch it together, whoever wants to watch it together. So, they'll go out for some food, just kind of go to a local theater, food court, eat some food together, watch The Chosen together. So, if you're interested in that, go online, sign up at torontostatechurch.com, just so the team can have an idea of how many people are coming, and we're excited about that. And then also next week, I'll mention too, that's happening I also want to ask for your prayers as well. I've been invited to speak at a young adults rally, a multi-church young adults rally in Hamilton. So there's going to be about five or six churches coming together. So I do want to put the invite out to some of our young adults. If you're not going to do the chosen, come hang with me, go preach. I am trying to get some of you married. So, you know, it's just, right? Hey, listen, I'm like, get in places where you can be found, get in places where you can meet new people, a young adult rally with tons of churches in Hamilton. You know, it's just, I'm always thinking, about these things, guys. So, you know, and uh, and I may or may not make all my church members stand up and say a bunch of them are single. Go meet them. Or no, I won't do that. But just want to keep in prayer. But we're gonna have a lot of fun. So, yeah, oh, and my wife will come then. Okay, my wife just reminded me of something else here. Welcome my wife back. Isn't she amazing? Um, And also, if you can pray for us, there is a team of us from Toronto City Church out of the creative department that are flying out to England on Tuesday evening um, for a creative conference at HTB London, which is um, Alpha Run. I don't know if you're familiar with Alpha, but they have a really creative expression of their ministry in East London. Um, And we're going to be attending a conference there called Renaissance, and they are seeing, they're, they're launching something called like the cathedral of creativity and what God is doing among creatives globally and just um, a, a upswing or a surge of creativity um, in people seeing God through art and through music, all these different things. So there's a team of us, I think there's about 11 of us, uh, including my little girl, she's going to be going, so we're going to be leaving, I'm leaving my husband again, uh, with my, my daughter and a crew from Toronto City Church that's going to be headed to London, England. So we would love, there's a lot of movement this week, you're preaching, there's the chosen, there's a team of us going to England. But if you can keep us in prayer as well as we travel, please pray for Air Canada that they don't cancel the flight because they'd be canceling flights. Like, yeah, anyways. And losing luggage, that as well. 
Yes, God bless our candidates. So let's, let's, let's pray right now. If you're part of the team that's going, do you want to just stand up really quick? Because I know we've got some of our guys who are headed out. I'm not sure how many are in service. A bunch are serving around. All right, well, it's my wife and Nayla. A bunch are in the back. Oh, some of the worshipers are there. So let's just pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for what you've called our church to even in creativity. And I thank you for um, just even as this team goes, that there's going to be a powerful impartation in their lives, and it's going to be something they bring back to us as a church. And that even as they're building a... a cathedral of creativity, God, that we would be able to build in this place a cathedral of creativity that glorifies you. And so we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Lots of good stuff happening. All right. So wind and fire. Everybody say wind and fire. As you know, last week we started a new series. It really was connected in many ways to what we did through September and October. But in September, October, we spent time in Acts 2, 42 to 47, really 41, where it talked about people coming to the kingdom. But we talked about what move of God looked like and just distinctives and things that we're believing for here at Toronto City Church. But then what we decided, we talked about last week was he said, you know, if we want to see Acts 2, 41 to 47 happen, we need to go back to the start of Acts chapter 2 and see what was a catalyst for what happened there so that we can believe for and engage with that and connect with that as well here. And so that's really where our heart is in this and really talking about a deeper move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because at the beginning of Acts 2, as we'll read in just a moment, there was the outpouring of the Spirit of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was the catalyst and sparked everything. And so my prayer for us this month, I just shared this last week, but I want to share again because it's my prayer for you, it's my prayer for me, it's my prayer for us. First and foremost, I'm praying that our hunger for a deeper move of the Holy Spirit will grow. Everything starts with hunger. You will live with what you are prepared to settle for in the kingdom so often. And there's so much that God has, but if you're prepared just to settle for just a little bit, that's where you'll live even though God has so much more. But it's when God awakens a hunger in you for the deeper things. When God awakens a hunger for fullness, that's when you begin to go deeper in that. So my prayer is that God awakens a hunger in our hearts. My prayer as well is that what I'll call the water levels of the spirit moving will rise in our church. That the water levels, and what I mean by that is it's not just one person here or one person there that's really encountering God, but there's almost like the river of God that just goes deeper and deeper, and anyone who steps into the building gets touched by it. And number three, my prayer is simply this, that each one of us will be touched by God in a special way this month. I mean, I always want us to be touched by God, but I pray that each one of us is marked with a heart for the wind and the fire, that our heart is marked for a deeper move of the Holy Spirit. And so as has been our habit, I want to invite you, we're going to read Acts 2, 1 to 8, then 41, but let's stand together for the reading of the word in prayer. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, I'll do my best. I've got a feedback for some. Sometimes I get out of touch with the screen timing and it's hard to read with me because the screen's moving. We'll try and stay on point with it. Let's read verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in his own native language? Let's jump to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for this season where we're talking about wind and fire, where we're talking about the deeper work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I pray for myself. I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, for every person tuning in online, that today we will be truly touched by your spirit, today that we will go deeper in this, And today we will experience the wind and the fire of the Holy Spirit in a new way in our lives. And everyone agree with me, said. Amen. Amen. Come on, everybody say wind and fire. And And you can grab your seats. And so as we said, we've been focusing on this area of wind and fire. 
and stirring hunger in our hearts, stirring some things up, calling us to leaning in for a deeper move of the Holy Spirit. We talk about wind, and so we saw here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the Holy Spirit came, there was a mighty rushing wind, and that's one of the symbols in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit. It moves. You cannot see the wind. You don't necessarily know where it's coming from, from where it's going, but you can feel its effects on your life. You can see its effects on those around you, and that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. We also saw that we're tongues of fire. As we said last week, it was not just little fire kind of burning over their head, but literally it was a baptism of fire that God placed into life. So we're asking and we're hungry for that wind of the Spirit to blow. We don't want things just the same. We don't want things just to be static in our lives, to kind of be just there. We want that wind blowing. We want the fire of God in our lives, and this is what we're believing for. At the end of the sermon last week, I read to you a message from, or not a message, I read to you a hymn that was sung regularly by the Salvation Army under William and Catherine Booth. And I want to just go back to one of the verses from that hymn, because I felt like it was a springboard for where I wanted to go today. And it was verse two where it said this, God of Elijah, hear our cry. Send the fire today. To make us fit to live or die, send the fire today. To burn up every trace of sin, to bring the light and glory in. The revolution now begin, send the fire today. What I want to take a few moments today, even as we talk about wind and we talk about fire, that line, God of Elijah, hear our cry, just jumped out to me. And I don't know if you guys are, I know most of you are probably very familiar with Elijah. But I want to take some time to talk about perhaps the most famous moment, the most well-known moment of Elijah's life, where he stood up to King Ahab and Jezebel, to the prophets of Baal, and they had a showdown on Mount Carmel. Because this was a time where the fire came. And you know, it's interesting because the Old Testament, one of the reasons God put what he put in the Old Testament was that it was to be a testimony to us. It was to teach us. It was to instruct us. And so if we're talking about wind, if we're talking about the fire of God in our lives, then if we can go to places in the scripture where the fire of God manifested, we can learn from those things in scripture, and we can learn how we can see the fire of God manifest more in our lives, in in our church. And so let's go to Acts, 1 Kings, excuse me, 18, we started in Acts, we're going to 1 Kings. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you stand and read all of 1 Kings 18, but we're going to go there in verse 1. Let me give you a little bit of context as we jump into this passage. When we come to this time, Elijah was a prophet in Israel. He was one of those who spoke on behalf of God because before Jesus, the Spirit of God did not rest on everyone, but the Spirit of God would rest on specific men or women who would be prophets, and they would speak the word of the Lord. And so that's the way it was. So Elijah was a prophet, but he was a prophet in nation that was in a very bad state. Israel was not in a good place when we come to 1 Kings chapter 18. It was ruled by a wicked king named Ahab who had turned his back on the Lord. Furthermore, he had gone and married a very wicked woman who took things to another level. Her name was Jezebel. It's interesting because she was a Bible character. She was a literal person. But there was something on her so much that even in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, Jesus starts talking about a spirit of Jezebel that leads people in. So there was this whole spirit around her. So so you've got this wicked king, this wicked queen, and they are leading Israel actively away from God. And Jezebel especially, if you, if you studied Elijah, or excuse me, Ahab was actually pretty weak. He was pretty flimsy and back and forth. You kind of see, but, but Jezebel had this spirit of, that was on her. And so she was pushing and leading the nation into worship of Baal. So not only was Israel not in a good state, led by wicked leadership, but they were be actively pushed. And many people were now starting to worship Baal, who was an idol, who was a false god. And so they were turning away from the Lord. They were turning and worshiping Baal. Now because of this, there was much upheaval in the land. And so God, very quickly at one point, called Elijah, and this is just giving you some context. He stood before Ahab, and he said, it will not rain until I give the word. And so by the point we start reading, it had been three years since it had rained. Now about for you, you know, some days like today you wake up and woke up and it was wet and it was raining and it was kind of cold. You're kind of like, oh man, you love the sun. But if you don't have rain for three years, how many know you got a problem? Especially in an agrarian society where they had to grow their food, where they had to, you know, the, the entire economy was built around this. So there was devastation. 
Because there was drought, it also leads to famine because there's no food. It leads to the economy falling apart. I mean, there was so many issues of what was going on in Israel. And so this is where we come in in 1 Kings 18. So let's, I'm going to read, and we're just going to read through the passage, read and talk. So 1 Kings 18, verse 1, it says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Yo, family, as I was reading this and reading about what was going on in the time of Israel, I was actually reminded about the challenges that we face today in our world. I was reminded about the, the, the challenges we are facing in many ways here in, in, in Toronto, here in Canada, here in the Western world right now. There, there, there's, I mean, we just start going through, I, I, you pay attention to the news, you look at what's happening around us, we're still so devastated by so much that's happened through the pandemic, the economic shaking that we're seeing, the, the shortages that are starting to come up. You know, it's interesting, sometimes we don't even think about it, but we are just coming back from the States yesterday and my, Pastor Sharon had gone into Target we're trying to get to the airport. I start freaking out a little bit. We're getting too close to the time, and she's not coming out. She's not coming out. I'm like, where is she? You know, what's going on? She and, and Auntie, her Auntie Lena, she comes back. She's, oh, sorry, sorry. She's had to run back because she said, I realized in Canada, we don't have children's Tylenol. There's a massive shortage in children's Tylenol. So I just, I went, Advil, children's Advil. So I went and bought some just so we could make sure that we have some, some extra to bring home. But, you know, we've got all these, I mean, it's just a small example of just the upheaval that's happening. You know, and then even if we go on a global scale, the wars, the conflict that's happening around the world. You know, what's been going on in Ukraine and what's been happening there. Some of the concerns now and a lot of the saber rattling, so to speak, over Taiwan and China and all this stuff happening in the world. But you know what? What to me most of it talks about this severe famine in Samaria because we might be saying, well, there's not really a famine. Still but I want you to tell you there's a famine in the land today. And that's a famine for the word of God. That's a famine for the word of the Lord. There's so many people that don't, don't even have, they're starving spiritually. So one of the challenges is like in the book of Revelations where they talked about the one church that said, you think you're rich. You know, Laodicea, you think you're rich and you have everything, but you're actually poor. But anyway, what he says, you have all this stuff physically. Because sometimes that's the most dangerous place to be in. When all your physical needs are met, it keeps you thinking you're okay and not even understanding the sad spiritual state that you're in. So in a land where there's a famine for the word of God, Matthew 4 verse 4 said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we're in a land where there's this famine for the word of the Lord. So there's some things, I I didn't want to go through everything in the passage, but we're going to jump to verse 17 because Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Verse 17 says, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? So he's hot. He's angry. Because the last time he saw this guy, this guy said, there's not going to be any rain until I say so, by the word of the Lord. Then he disappears for three years, and there's no rain. So Ahab's angry. You trouble him. Watch what Elijah says. But Elijah answered him and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. What I want you to see here, it's so interesting. When we look at the world around us, something just leapt out to me, guys. We need to understand this. When a nation honors God and follows God, there is a blessing that comes over that nation. When a nation begins to turn their back on God, they begin to step out of the blessing that God has for them. We can see that here in our nation right now. And it's very important we understand the dynamics of these things. Our nation was never perfect. If you go back historically, there's definitely many things that you would find. But if you go back a generation or two, even with the challenges and the problems that were there, there was a general sense of a respect for God. There was a general respect for the scriptures. I still remember, I I remember, I mean, probably dating myself a little bit, I remember when we used to say the Lord's Prayer in class. And I remember when it stopped. I think I was in grade five. I just have this memory. We stopped doing it. Now, is it magical because you say the Lord's Prayer? Does that make everybody a Christian? No, but what I'm trying to see is there was this honoring for God. Even amongst people who didn't necessarily follow God, there was this honoring for God. There was this underlying righteousness. Some sociologists would call it a Judeo-Christian value that came because of that. But what's happened is as a nation begins to turn away from God, as we begin to reject God more and more, what happens is we step out of his blessing. It's the same thing in our lives personally. 
If you serve God, if you love God, if you follow God, you don't earn salvation. You don't earn blessing because those are gifts from God. But you put yourself in a position to receive. But if you begin to get into sin, you turn your back on God. You start to compromise and tolerate things in your life. You step out of the blessing of God. But isn't it interesting, Ahab and his failed leadership was the reason there was a drought in the land. But he wanted to blame Elijah. He wanted to say, you troubler of Israel. And Elijah looked at him and said, you're the troubler of Israel because you've turned your back on God. And it's interesting in the same way. Here's what happens sometimes. We compromise. We disobey God. We, we play around with sin. We step out of the blessing of God. We step out of the protection of God. He's covering our lives. And then the enemy starts getting shots at us. And you know what some of us do? Oh, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Oh, Lord, why are you making this happen in my life? God must have a purpose for us. No, you just are in disobedience. God didn't have a purpose for this. God didn't have a plan for this. Now, he's big enough that if you repent, he can still turn it for good. But there's so many times, just like the spirit Ahab has, it's interesting. Maturity means you take responsibility. Immaturity means you always blame somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault. When you're mature, and I watch this even with my children, for example, when there's maturity, they take responsibility for what they did or didn't do. But when you're an immature, you always want to blame somebody else. And so in the same way, this is why we need to have a heart for our nation and righteousness. It's a, there's an interesting war over this right now. And I, I'm not going to go down that road too much. But the enemy is launching some different attacks to get Christians to even stop praying and believing for their nation. Because here's what happens. When the blessing of God is on a nation, it rains on the just and the unjust. It blesses everybody on so many levels. But when that blessing is lifted, when people step out of that blessing, there's chaos, there's famine, there's drought, there's, there's, there's breakdowns on so many different levels. So this is where Israel was. And it was because of Ahab, it was because of Jezebel, it was because of where they were leading and where the people were going. So we see here, Elijah says, verse 19, he says, now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who will eat at Jezebel's table. So, so he, he kind of says, okay, it's time for a showdown. We're going to Mount Carmel, which was a place of kind of significance of meeting with God, a spiritual high place. He said, we're going to Car Mount Carmel. You bring all of Israel and you bring your 400 pro 450 prophets of Baal, you bring your 400 prophets. He just challenged 850 prophets right there. He said, we're going to have a showdown. And so it happens, and they do it. <coughs> and so we see here, verse 20, it says, So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How, watch this, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. Now, one of the things I was reflecting on as I studied this, for, for a long time when I'd read this passage, my picture was this, that the children of Israel had completely abandoned God and they were now just worshiping Baal. I'll get you it. But you know, a lot of people, that's what I looked at. They've, they've abandoned God. They're worshiping Baal. Elijah's calling them back to God. But if you actually look at what Elijah said, and I realized this one day I was reading this, he was saying that the people of Israel had not completely abandoned God. They were wavering back and forth between two opinions. In other words, there was mixture. There was compromise. Revelation chapter 3, there was lukewarmness in their lives. See, they hadn't completely given up on God. They just were taking the parts of God they liked and they were comfortable with and were still part of their culture. But then they were adding the worship of Baal in where it was comfortable and they liked it and it fit or it made them okay in their community or it met their needs or whatever else. They were trying to mix the two together. They were trying to bring it together. And so Elijah calls them out and he says, how long will you go limping between back and forth between two opinions? I love the word limping. Why? Because when you're not all in for God, when you got compromise in your life, you can't run the way God's called you to run. You can't stand the way God called you to stand. You're always limping everywhere you go. You are limping. Why? Because there's not strength. There's not stability in your life. Why? Because strength and stability comes from a wholehearted commitment to the Lord. 
And so what Elijah began to challenge the people in is he didn't challenge them that they completely left God. He challenged them that they were lukewarm. He challenged them that they were compromised. He challenged them that they go to synagogue on Sabbath and worship God, but then throughout the week they go and worship Baal and do things. They were mixing it all together. And family, in the same way today as we're talking about the wind, as we're talking about the fire, as we're talking about how can we see the fire of God, I want each one of us to look in our hearts today. Is there compromise in our hearts today? Are we maybe more like the children of Israel than we realize? Again, they maybe thought, no, we're still serving God. We're still good because I still do this and I do that. Yeah, yeah, but what about all this compromise? Ah, you know, it's just, I got weakness. God understands. It's okay. There's grace. You know, whatever else. We're saying, no, you're not wholehearted to the Lord. But we're wavering back and forth between two opinions. They were divided. And then when he calls them, they would not take a stand. They were silent. Again, notice they didn't say, we choose Baal. They didn't choose God. They just said, "Mm, we're not saying anything. Family, God is looking for a committed people. God is looking for people who will commit themselves wholeheartedly to him. Even if we go back to Acts chapter 2. We'll do a little, let's, let's just do a little quiz here, see where my Bible scholars are. How many people were in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came? 120. Somebody said it. I heard a bunch of just somewhere in there. I know somebody said 120. How many people did Jesus appear to before he ascended and tell to wait for him in Jerusalem for power on a high? 500, give or take. So here's my question. What happened to the other 380 people? (laughs) Yeah, my dad said they regretted it. I bet they did. (laughs) Can you imagine living your entire life knowing you missed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? You have no excuse because Jesus told you to go, but you didn't listen? But here's what I think. I don't think most of them said, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't want to follow him. I don't whatever. I do think most of them probably just got busy. Most of them thought, maybe some came and waited for a couple days, but thought this is a little inconvenient See, for upper room believers, there's this wholehearted committed. It's I'm all in until I get what God's calling me to get. But I, because I, notice Jesus say, go and wait for 10 days. Yeah. God, a lot of times, will not tell you all the specifics. He's going to call you into obedience because he's looking for those who are wholeheartedly committed to him. He's looking for those who are all in. Everybody say all in. Don't be one of the 380. Be one of the 120. Be wholly committed to the Lord. But again, here's what, I, I, I just need you guys to get this today because I've been challenging myself with it. I don't, maybe a lot of these people that Elijah was called thought they were okay. Like, I'm, I'm loving God, I'm at church, come on, I'm good. Yeah, but what about all the compromise? Oh, come on. So maybe are we more lukewarm than we realize, but we... Don't even realize we're lukewarm because everybody else we're around is lukewarm too. So we all think we're on fire, but we're really just lukewarm. Right? Like, uh, I'll call myself. They, they also, you get around someone who's really fiery. And also, you go, whoa. Right? That's part of what God's doing. So that all the children of Israel, God's looking for wholehearted committed. He's looking for people who are all in. You know, the second thing I want you to see from this. Essentially, let's talk about Baal for a second. Because this was this battle between are you wholehearted to God or are you wholehearted to Baal? Now, so first of all, who was Baal? Well, without doing too deep of a dive, Baal, number one, was an idol. It was idolatry. So they were back and forth between truly being committed to God but then idols in their lives. Everyone goes, well, I don't have that problem, Pastor. I don't have any statues in my house. An idol's not a statue. An idol is anything that you place as higher than the Lord. An idol is anything that you give more worship or worth to in your life than you do to Jesus. And I'll tell you today, family, the idols of our day look maybe a little different than the idols of their day, but it's still an idol is an idol is an idol. Finances can be an idol. Money can be an idol in your life. You love money more than you love Jesus. You say you love Jesus more, but when it's time to give, you don't do it. So what do we say? Sports can be an idol. 
I love sports. Go on, Canada's in the World Cup. Go Canada. I love watching my kids play sports. I kind of retired myself after I tore my Achilles, so I live now through my children. But I love sports. But we, it can become something that I say is more important than Jesus. What idols in your life keep trying to pull you away from him? Because it looks different for every person. That's why the rich young ruler, for example, when Jesus said, go sell all you have, give to the poor, come follow me. Jesus wasn't saying that everybody has to do that. He was identifying the idol that was in that man's life. And he said, I need this idol to fall so you can follow me. And I've heard some different Bible commentators say it made a lot of sense. I think he was supposed to be Judas's replacement. Because Jesus needed somebody to handle the money. He said, you're good with money, but you love it too much, so let's deal with the love of money, then I can release you into what I have for you. And yet he went away sad. Secondly, with Baal, Baal worship was integrated with sexual morality. If I just be straight, the way you'd worship Baal was you'd sleep with temple prostitutes, there'd be all kinds of sexual morality that were around. That one of the reasons why people liked worshiping Baal, straight up. So what's the battle today? Well, we don't call it Baal, but for so many believers, what's stopping us from being wholehearted to the Lord is sexual morality, pornography, addictions, illicit sexual relationships, our thought life, what we're watching, what we're taking part in, guys. Listen, why am I saying this? You cannot have the fire of God and have that kind of compromise. Because whether you like it or not, when you go down that road, you are releasing spiritual dynamics and there is a worship of an idol instead of a worship of Jesus. And I'll say that to condemn anybody because we all have this battle. But this is what is in front of us. Will we say, Lord, I'm all in with you? Or will we continue to allow compromise? Another thought about Baal was Baal was very much about provision. One of the reasons they worshiped Baal was Baal, between Baal and Asherah, it was thought to control the rain, interestingly enough, so that you could have fruitfulness and crops. So you'd have people in your community, you're trying to serve God. You know, they're trying to serve Jehovah with all their heart. You'd have people saying, why aren't you worshiping Baal? Why aren't you coming to the altar? It's your fault we don't have rain. It's your fault that we're not seeing what we need to see because they had bought into the lie that if we worship. So I think that's why God said, oh, you want to worship Baal? Okay, no rain. Because I want you to see what's really going on here. But isn't it interesting where some of us, what stops us from being wholehearted with God, for some of us it's idols in our lives, for some of us it's sexual morality, for some of us it's fear in the area of provision. We don't trust God to really provide for us. These are all aspects of what was going on. So let's read in verse 22. It says, then Elijah said to the people, I even I only am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bowls be given to us and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And I'll prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. You call in the name of your God and I'll call in the name of the Lord. I love that. Your God, Lord. And though God answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So now they want to talk. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baals, choose for yourself one bowl, prepare it first. You guys go first. For you are many, and call the name of your God, and put no fire to it. So they took the bowl that was given them, and prepared it, and called the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. Like all morning, guys. You think I preach long. And they limped around the altar they had made. So picture this. I mean, it's kind of crazy. So then I, I, Elijah starts talking trash. I mean, Elijah, I'm looking forward to meeting Elijah. It was really funny. Actually, there was a guy preaching at the conference a couple days ago. He said, when I get to heaven, he said, and I laughed. I said, the first thing I'm going to do, he said, I'm going to slap at him. <laughs> he said, then I'm going to fall at the feet of Jesus and worship. And he's like, then I'm going to go to Paul because I want to learn some things from Paul learned. I laughed. I never heard anybody say he's going to slap at him before. He did qualify. He said, if that's allowed. I don't know if that's allowed. <laughs> But it's interesting, I want to talk to Elijah, because Elijah's there. There's 450 of them. Elijah starts talking smack. He starts saying, cry aloud, for he's a God. Maybe he's musing. Maybe he's relieving himself. And Lord said, he might be on the toilet, guys. Shout louder. He can't hear you. Maybe he's relieving himself. 
Oh, maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And so they're going crazy now. I mean, they're cutting themselves, the Bible says. Blood is flowing. I mean, this picture, I mean, it's pretty kind of gross and gruesome. You know, sometimes we want movies about the Bible. Certain scenes, I'm like, I don't know if I want my kids seeing that scene in full. I don't know if I want to see this scene in full living color. And so they're there, all that, they're, they cry aloud, they cut themselves with sword and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of oblation, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Could I suggest today that sometimes when we feel like God's not answering our prayers, maybe it's because we keep going to idols and then run back to God for something, but really we're not worshiping him. Right? Like, it's like, we're not all in, but then we need something. Oh, God, oh, God. And, you know, he's so gracious. He comes anyways and helps us so often. But, but what if there's, what if we're all in? Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. Oh, Lord. Just looked at the clock. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So just three things really quick, and then we're going to go to prayer. The first thing Elijah did is he repaired the altar. Family, if we're going to be a church that has the fire of God, if we're going to be people that have fire of God, we've got to repair the altar in our lives. What is the altar? The altar is a place of sacrifice. The altar of the place was worship. The altar is a place of, of, of focus on God. And there was this element of, of rebuilding and repairing the altar in your personal lives, corporately together, a life of worship, a life of seeking God, a heart for God. See, when you repair the altar, it's like a priority on God. It's a priority on seeking God. It's a priority on loving God. It's a priority on worshiping God. And so many times the altar in our lives has fallen into disrepair because we've not paid attention to it. We've not prioritized it. But if we're going to be people who see the wind and the fire, we need to repair the altar. Everybody say repair the altar. Number two, verse 31 says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great would contain two sailors of seed, and he put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. So secondly, Elijah prepared a sacrifice. Here's what I want you guys to understand today. Every time you see fire in the scriptures, there was always a sacrifice. If you want fire, there needs to be a sacrifice. We can see it here. The fire came because there was a sacrifice. If we look with Solomon when he dedicated the temper and he offered all of these animals in sacrifice and then the fire and the glory of God came. There's always a sacrifice. So what sacrifice are we talking about? Pastor Brandon, we say we need to go get a bowl and sacrifice a bowl. No, here's the sacrifice we're talking about. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. See, so we need to, number one, we need to say, I'm going to stop worshiping Baal. I'm going to stop this back and forth. I'm going to stop this compromise in my life. I'm all in with Jesus. The number two, we rebuild the altar. We prioritize him in our lives. We prioritize prayer. We prioritize worship. We prioritize being together. And then number three, we say, we need a sacrifice. What's the sacrifice? I'm the sacrifice. But it's not a sacrifice that dies. It's a sacrifice that's alive because he's looking for a living sacrifice. I have some of you guys remember the Transformations videos. George Otis Jr., it kind of swept through the body of Christ in the 90s where they did documentaries on different cities that are experiencing transformation. And one I'll always remember was about Cali, Colombia. And it was a great revival in that city, but part of the catalyst for it was a pastor who was leading the prayer movement in the city was literally murdered. And he laid down his life for the cause of what God was doing. And they interviewed his wife and his daughters, and I won't say it exactly the way he said it, but one thing his daughters said that always stuck with me. So they said, our father gave his life for Christ, but we want to live every day for Christ, and sometimes that's even harder. A living sacrifice. You say, I'm rebuilding the altar of prioritizing him. I'm giving my life as a living sacrifice. Everybody say living sacrifice. Keep reading here. And he said, fill four jars, jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering in the wood. And they said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. They said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So get this. It's kind of this weird because Elijah rebuilds the altar. He gets the wood. He gets everything together. And then he says, pour water on it. Why did he do that? For a long time, I used to think, because God wanted to show everybody he could burn wet wood. 
He's like, I'm going to show you he's God. Now he's going to send fire from heaven and burn the wood. He's going to burn wet wood. But I started thinking about it. I thought, that doesn't make a whole ton of sense because if fire falls from heaven, I don't care if the wood's wet or not. I'm already done. Like, you got me. So what was he doing? Well, let me ask you this. What had Israel been in for three years? If you've had a drought for three years, what is the most valuable resource that you have? More important than silver, more important than gold, more important than any amount of money you could have, what's it going to be? Water. And so what he says is, I prepared the sacrifice, but go get the water. Go get the best thing we have. Go get the most valuable resource we have. And I'm not even going to just sprinkle a little bit on. This is not a sprinkle situation. We're going to dump it all over this sacrifice. Why? Because I'm going to give God my best. And family, I want to encourage you today that part of the call of what God's saying to us is he's looking for people who will stop the compromise, who will rebuild the altar, who will give their lives as a holy sacrifice, but then will give God their very best. That they will give God everything thing that they have. David said this in 2 Samuel 24, 24. He said to Arnua, no, I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Guys, how many times are we trying to give offerings to God that cost us nothing? How many times are we giving God the leftovers? We get everything else taken care of. We prioritize everything else in our lives. And then if there's a little bit left over, we say, oh God, you can have this. God is looking for people who are going to flip the script and are not going to give them leftovers. They're not going to throw them a cheap tip, but are going to say, God, I give you my very best. I want you to have first. I want you to have it all. I'm giving you everything I have. That we would be people who give God our best. Come on, somebody say, give God our best. Verse 36, and if Justin wants to come back, and at the time of the offering of oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day you are the God in Israel, that I am your servant, and I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know you, O Lord God, that you have turned their hearts back. So the last thing is Elijah prayed. Those two sides, I want to go the macro and the micro. The macro is people who experience the wind and the fire are people of prayer. It's not an accident that the book of Acts 2 happened out of a prayer meeting. It's not an accident. God is calling us to be people of prayer, people of intercession, people who will go beyond a shallow Christianity where it's just about me and my blessing and my salvation, but people who say, God, I want to be about your purposes. I want to be about your kingdom and understand that one of the chief ways we begin to partner with him is in the place of prayer and that there's this heart for prayer. And so he prays, but what I love on the micro level was he prayed and he just said, God, send the fire. I mean, his prayer probably took, if this is what he said, sometimes they'll condense it, his prayer maybe took 15 seconds. But you see, here's the last thing I want to say. If we're going to be people of the wind and the fire in our lives, number one, we deal with the compromise. Number two, we rebuild the altar. Number three, we get on that altar as a living sacrifice. Number four, we make sure we give God our best. And then number five, we ask him to come. We ask him for fire. We ask him in humility. We ask him in faith. And we say, send the fire today. God, send your fire into my life. Send your fire into my family. Send your fire into my church. Send your fire into my life. We can't create fire, guys. Fire comes from heaven. Hebrews eleven twenty nine. 29, our God is a consuming fire. The fire is the fire that comes from his throne. The fire is the fire that comes from his, his, his comes, from, comes from heaven. The fire is the fire that when Jesus was revealed in Revelation, and all oh, your eyes are burned like fire, there's this fire in him. You can't create fire, but what you can do is you can stop compromise. You can't create fire, but what you can do is rebuild an altar. You can't create fire, but what you can do is present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. You can't create fire, but you can say, I can give God my very best. And God is looking right now. He's looking for men and women in this place. He's looking in our nation for churches. He's looking for places that would be prepared to host his fire. He's looking for people who would be prepared to stand up and say, but guys, here's why it matters. 
because we see in verse 38 it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell, and it consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Family, the reason we need the fire of God is not just so we can feel like, Oh, I've got the fire. I'm cool. I'm on fire. It's because there's so many people in the world around us. They need to see the fire of God. They need to fall on their faces and say, the Lord, he is God. But where would be the living sacrifices? Where would be the people who say, I'm all in? Where would be the people who would wholly commit their hearts to him? Not just them for themselves, but for their nation, for a generation, for those who are around them, for their neighbors, for their co-workers. Guys, we can criticize what's going on in the world around us. We can talk about dark it is, or we can say, God, light a fire down inside of me. Light a fire in our church family so that people can be drawn to the light of your gospel and to the light of who you are. But it starts with somebody who will say, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. Family, my prayer today, I want to be that person. And you know what? I want us to be that kind of church. But it starts with us saying, choose this day whom you will serve. And so my prayer and I pray it lightly, but I, I, I'm praying. I'm saying, God, teach me to walk this way. Help me to walk this way. And I want to invite you right now, if you would pray that same prayer, if your heart would be for our church to be this kind of church, if this would be what's in your heart today, I want to invite you just to stand to your feet where you are right now. Just stand to your feet and hold your hands out before the Lord as if you're receiving some, because I believe he wants to just pour some things into you today. Thank you, Lord. God of Elijah, hear our cry. Send the fire today. To make us fit to live or die, send the fire today. To burn up every trace of sin, to bring the light and glory in. The revolution now begin. Send the fire today. To make our weak hearts strong and brave, send the fire today. To live a dying world to save, send the fire today. Oh, see us on your altar lay, our lives over all this very day. To crown the offering, now we pray. Somebody say, send the fire today. So I want us just to take a few moments there. We're going to dismiss in a second. I want you to do business with God today. Is there a compromise in your life that needs to stop? Do you need a Mount Carmel decision saying, you know, I'm all in with God. You know, it's one of the words that came with Pastor Sharon. There were some very sobering things spoken in this prophetic summit. Two of the key themes that came through this week, number one, was the call to holiness and consecration. Number two was for a fresh release of the fear of the Lord, which means not being afraid of God, but having an awe and a respect for him. To tremble at his word. In other words, I don't take, he's not my homeboy. He's the God of the universe. And I heard that, and I was, <laughs> I mean, Pastor Sharon and I both were talking and processing some things, guys, but it's dealing with compromise. If there's compromise, it's making that choice. Maybe for some of us, we're here, and I need to rebuild the altar. I need to rebuild the altar. Maybe some of you, it's just God saying, I want your life as a holy sacrifice. Maybe for some of you, it's realizing you haven't been giving God your best. You're giving God leftovers. Maybe for some of us, it's like all of it. But whatever it is, I want you just to talk to the Lord about it right now. Sometimes we don't need super long prayers. Elijah didn't pray a really long prayer. He prayed a heartfelt prayer. And length is good sometimes. Sometimes it's good to sit and soak. But I want you to deal with God right now on this. And so, Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I thank you that you are raising us as burning and shining lamps in the spirit of John the Baptist, God, in this generation. But, Father, I thank you, just even as this old hymn said, burn out every trace of sin. God, let your light and glory flood in. God, I pray that we will be so, we will rebuild the altars. 
rebuild the altars in our homes, rebuild the altars in our personal lives, even as we're rebuilding the altar in our church, God, teach us what this means. Give us revelation to it, Father. Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name for us being living sacrifices. God, that you're not here to serve us as much as we are here to serve you. And yes, you will serve us and love on us and give so much, but if we feel like you should be just serving us, oh, we are out of order. And I pray in Jesus' name just for this spirit of Elijah in our hearts. The spirit of Elijah in our church. Even as you said, in the last days, there will be the spirit of Elijah to call the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. And Lord, there's so much, even John the Baptist came declaring the gospel in the spirit of Elijah. And I pray for the spirit of Elijah, this no compromise, bold stand for Jesus. God, even if there's 850 prophets on the other side and we're there by ourselves, that we'd have that spirit of Elijah to stand firm. And Father, I just pray there will be such a sensitivity in our hearts, God. And there's just people who have been, there's been compromised, and today it finishes. Today it stops. By your power in our lives. You're not angry at us. You love us, and you want us to live in fullness instead of limping around all the time because we keep going back and forth between two opinions. God, I thank you the limp will be healed as we stand firm in you. And so we thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say, send the fire. Come on, say, send the fire today. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to dismiss. You need to go say, you feel free to go, but we're not going to do like a big worship. We're not going to lay on hands, but the altars are open. And if you and God need to do some business, I want you just to take some time before God right now. This is part of what God's doing. It's consecrating us, preparing us. Because he wants to send the fire. But he's looking for living sacrifices on rebuilt altars that are giving them their best. Amen. So Lord, thank you for your work in our hearts. Thank you that you are taking us deeper. We thank you for the deeper move of the spirit. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said. Amen. So again, awesome day. Amazing baptisms. Joy Ministry is going to be starting their lunch in about 10, 15 minutes probably. I'm looking at Crystal see about 10, 15, 10 minutes. Back in the back area, you're welcome to crash the party if you want to crash the party. Quia is going to be sharing some great things. But if you need to take some time before the Lord here, I just want to invite you, just be before the Lord. Just let him minister to your heart. You are called to be a living sacrifice. Stop living below the potential of who God made you to be. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Let's have a great week. And Lord, send a fire today.